Can you turn with me please to the book of Daniel chapter 5? I have a few passages to read, so I hope you'll bear with me. Daniel chapter 5, and we will read, um, we'll pick up around verse 23. This is Daniel speaking. He's speaking to Belshazzar. I think most of you probably know the story, but he says to Belshazzar, But you have lifted up thyself against the Lord of heaven. And they have brought the vessels of his, that is, of God's house. Those were the sacred vessels from the temple before thee. And thou and thy lords and thy wives and thy concubines have drunk wine in them. And thou hast praised the gods of silver and gold and brass, iron, wood, and stone, pagan gods, which see not nor hear nor know, and the God in whose hand thy breath is, and whose are all thy ways hast thou not glorified. And then, of course, we know of the handwriting on the wall. Then was the part of the hand sent from him, and this writing was written. And this is the writing that was written, Mini, Mini Tikal Parson. This is the interpretation of the thing, Mini, God hath numbered thy kingdom and finished it. Tikal, this is the verse I'm interested in. Thou art weighed in the balances and art found wanting. Perez, thy kingdom is divided and given to the Medes and the Persians. Turn over with me, please, to the book of Matthew, chapter 5. Matthew chapter 5, this is from the Sermon on the Mount, the Lord Jesus speaking, Think not that I am come to destroy the law, Matthew 5 and 17, or the prophets, I am not come to destroy but to fulfill. For verily I say unto you, till heaven and earth pass, one jot or one tittle shall in no wise pass from the law, till all things be fulfilled. Whosoever therefore shall break one of the least commandments and shall teach men so shall be called the least in the kingdom of heaven. But whosoever shall do and teach them, the same shall be called great in the kingdom of heaven. For I say unto you that except or unless your righteousness shall exceed the righteousness of the scribes and Pharisees, ye shall in no case enter into the kingdom of heaven. Book of Romans, please, chapter 3. Romans chapter 3, breaking in at the middle of verse 22. For there is no difference, verse 23, for all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. Back to the Gospel of John, chapter 3. If 
John chapter 3. And verse 3, Jesus answered and said unto Nicodemus, Verily, verily, I say unto you, Unless a man is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. Verse 14, And as Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, even so must the Son of Man be lifted up. Finally, First Peter chapter 3. First Peter three, verse eighteen, for Christ also for Christ also hath once suffered for sins the just or the righteous for the unrighteous, that he might bring us to God. I suppose you'll have noticed in these that a number of them deal with the question of falling short, of coming up short of something. Belshazzar uh, was a man of the Old Testament, a ruler in Babylon. Uh, Despite the terms king and father that are used there, he was, those are honorific titles, but he was not truly a king. We can see that late in the chapter because he offers up Daniel the third place in the kingdom. And you would wonder, well, why not the second? Well, because he was the second in the kingdom, so I couldn't offer that. Um, nor was he really any relation to uh, King Nebuchadrezzar, um, by referring to him as a father, although he was quite a few generations earlier. That was also an honorific title. Babylon, of course, is a, uh, is a civilization that goes very, very far back. Uh, in history, and there are many different rulers of it. There was a man named Nabopolassar who uh, became the ruler of Babylon, and Nabopolassar was probably an Assyrian, although we don't know for sure. He had a, king, a son named Nebuchadrezzar who became a mighty king, um, and he, we find him, of course, in Scripture. He had a son, Evil Marduk, and there were a few more, and then that line disappeared. And then there comes another uh, king along the line named Nabonidus. Um, don't know much about him. He might have been a Median king. Nobody is really too sure. Nabonidus was the father of Belshazzar. He only spent a couple of years reigning, and then he went out into the Arabian wilderness. And there's several different stories about why that would be. One was that he went crazy. That probably is confusing him with Nebuchadnezzar, who went crazy, so that's probably not it. Another was that he was very religious, and he went out there to, um, he went out there to commune with the moon god, or whatever. If you look in Wikipedia, that's the story that'll give you. I think the most likely story that I've heard is that he was looking to replace the city because it needed to be replaced. It was in a very bad spot. It was along the Euphrates River, um, which is very sluggish and slow-moving and not a good place at all for a city to be. If he went south to Arabia, unfortunately, history, he was on the wrong side of history. The city was moved. Uh, It needed to be, but it was moved north to where it is today. 
uh, as the city of Baghdad along the much faster and much more navigable Tigris River. And of course, Babylon, it became a ghost town, which it remains uh, even today. Nabonidus came back to the city to um, defend it against the Persians who were marching against it. Uh, we don't know where he is in this chapter. Uh, historians think he went out to do battle against the Persians, leaving Belshazzar behind in the rear to defend the city. If so, he had a very funny way of defending it. The man certainly comes down to us in this passage here as one of history's great nitwits. Um, the enemy was literally at the door, and he was holding a great feast. And on that feast, as you recall, there was a hand that came, a disembodied hand that came and wrote along the wall with a finger. And it wrote some words there, and Daniel was brought in to interpret the words since no one else was able to. And what we read there is part of what Daniel told Belshazzar. And he told him this in particular, he told him, you are weighed in the balances and found wanting. Now politics had found Belshazzar wanting, and he lost his life and his kingdom that night for that reason. But I think that God found him wanting in a very different way, because he seems to have done what none of his predecessors had ever done. He took out the sacred vessels from the temple in Jerusalem, which apparently had been simply maintained in storage over all of the years, And he took them out and he began to uh, hold a feast with them, and not just any feast, but a pagan feast. And so he took the sacred vessels from Jerusalem and he used them to honor his pagan gods. And so that is where we find him there. And Daniel comes in and Daniel tells him what the meaning of the words on the wall are. And one of them is this, you have been weighed in the balances and found wanting. And that night we are told Belshazzar, the king of the Chaldeans, was slain. He was weighed in the balances, but the balances found him to come very short. The Bible tells us that we will all be weighed in the balances, that in this life, for, for what happens in this lifetime, we will be accountable. We are told that it is appointed unto man once to die. And after this, the judgment. Whatever we do in this lifetime, we will be judged for. Men and women like to think that they can simply live their life the way they want to live it, and there will be no end result of it. But the Bible is very clear that what we do with our life, that we will be weighed in the balances. But when we come over to the book of Matthew and we read there what the Lord had to say on the Sermon on the Mount as it's known he also talks about being weighed in a sense but he says unless your righteousness is greater than the righteousness of the scribes and the Pharisees you cannot enter into the kingdom of heaven Now I know that sometimes when we read through the Gospels it seems as if the Lord has almost nothing good to say about the scribes and the Pharisees, but 
although some of them were clearly hypocrites, hypocrite is just a, a play actor, somebody who's going through the motions to make it look good. There were many Pharisees who were very righteous, very honorable people. No doubt Nicodemus, one of the men that was a Pharisee and that we read about in John 3, was a very upright and honorable person. They were men who kept all of the law of Moses, and when they ran out of that, they made laws of their own to keep. Um, They were a very diligent, ethical, moral people, for the most part. Paul himself tells us what he was as a Pharisee. For example, when they gave, they took quite literally the notion of let not your left hand know what your right hand doing. They had to, they have been, the synagogue has down to the present day, a, a double-blind system of giving. If you want to give money, you give it to Elder A in the synagogue, and Elder A gives it to Elder B. Elder B has the list of people who are in need, and he hands it out. So only two people ever know who gave, and only two people ever know who got and no person on earth ever knows both who got, gave and who got. And that was the type of thing. I'm not suggesting that that's necessarily a good way uh, to practice giving. I'm just saying this is, was the way that, that they practiced it. Um, and so they were very, very particular about being moral and upright. And yet the Lord Jesus says that if there was ever a group of people that were moral and upright and ethical on earth, it was these people. And yet the Lord says of them, unless your righteousness is greater than the righteousness of the scribes and the Pharisees, you cannot enter into the kingdom of heaven. But we come over to the book of Romans, and we find a balance, and now the, the it's, it's uh, up one more from what the Lord Jesus had said. We might have looked at the what the Lord said in the Sermon on the Mount and wondered, well, who who then can be saved? And we might have wondered, are there any such people who exceed the righteousness of the scribes and the Pharisees? But any question that we might have had is dispelled by the Apostle as he writes, for all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. So now we're given the the ultimate facts on the balances. Whose balance tips? Where does the balance tip? Where does the balance tip in my favor? And Paul says it never does. It never tips in your favor. It's always against you. No matter what you may do. Now Paul doesn't say for all are evil. And he doesn't say for all are wicked. And he doesn't say for all are great sinners. But he says all have sinned and come short. There is not a person for whom the possibility of their righteousness taking them to heaven is real. It cannot be. And so he says, for all of sin, and come short. But when we come back then to the Gospel of John, the Lord, then Jesus, then ups it once more from what Paul has said. Paul said there's nothing you can do in yourself there's no no way you can possibly reach that level by yourself but the Lord takes it one, one step further and he says you must be born again in other words not only can you not reach it by anything you're doing but your whole life 
is not capable of meeting God's demands. And so you must have a new life. And it's only through a new life, through being born again, that a person can achieve the righteousness that's needed to enter heaven. And we would ask the question then, how is it possible to have this righteousness? And he tells us in verse 14 of John chapter 3, the means by which that righteousness can be obtained. He tells us that as the Son of Man, was, as Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, so must the Son of Man be lifted up. You'll remember that story from the Old Testament about how they were dying from the serpent's bites and Moses made a serpent and put it on a pole, high on a pole that could be seen from around the camp. And when a person who was dying looked upon the serpent, they were healed from the, the, the sin that was go, from the illness that was going to take away their life. And so he says, even as the serpent was lifted on a pole, so must the Son of Man be lifted up. And what he's referring to, of course, is Calvary, where the Lord Jesus Christ was lifted up on a cross, and where he suffered and died. And it is through a look to Christ on Calvary that the sinner can at last obtain the righteousness that God requires. And we find that when we came to 1 Peter chapter 3 and verse 18. For Christ also hath suffered once for sin, the righteous for the unrighteous. Now you see what has happened to the balance. When my righteousness was put on there, it never could balance it. It always came up short. But if my righteousness is taken off the balance and the righteousness of Christ is put on it, oh, then all the difference is made. Because you see, His righteousness crashes the balance to the floor because it's more than sufficient to take away all sin. The righteousness that Christ obtained for us when He died on Calvary is enough to save any sinner whether it be a sinner with few sins or it be the wickedest of sinners, the righteousness of Christ. When my righteousness is taken away, my righteousness, we are told, can never get me to heaven. So now you ask the question, who has a greater righteousness than the righteousness of the scribes and the Pharisees? Well, the answer is anyone who has come to Calvary and who has trusted Christ has a greater righteousness than the scribes and the Pharisees because they have not their own righteousness but the righteousness of Christ. That is what we obtain when we look in faith to the one who is on the tree. When we look at the one who died on Calvary. When we look at the one who suffered there for a look in him. The sinner can have the righteousness of Christ as his own simply by putting his faith in Christ. And my righteousness, which could never save me and never give me any hope, is taken away. And the righteousness of Christ is given to me. And God will accept the righteousness of the Son of God who died on Calvary. He'll never accept mine. It would never be enough. And he'll never accept yours. But His, the righteousness of the Son of God who died on Calvary is sufficient 
to save anyone that's in this meeting tonight. So we would hope that there would be somebody here tonight that would look to the one who died on Calvary. Just as the Lord Jesus told uh, Nicodemus so long ago of a one who was lifted up. There was a man lifted up, the Son of God, lifted up at Calvary. Lifted up to pre- to obtain righteousness for you and me. We are lost in our sins, but he has died for us to take away our sins. And so all of the things that we could never get to on our own are ours through the finished work of the Lord Jesus. Shall we pray?